All righty. We are, the off season is more or less officially over now as Wes and I are going to talk about the Diamondbacks big moves, talk about the free agent moves, the Eugenio Suarez trade, and we'll give our final grades on the off season on episode 42 of the snakes on the diamond podcast. So thank you for tuning in here. I'm Mike McDermott. I am. I cover the team for Fan Nation's Inside the Diamondbacks on Sports Illustrated. You can find us at si.com slash MLB slash Diamondbacks. And joining me today is Wes from AZ Snake Pit. So Wes, how are you doing? I'm great. Glad to finally have spring training started and like get through, you know, basically like the off season's over. Like you said, there are a few, few people left unsigned, but they don't really matter to us. So, yeah, it looks like. D-backs uh, offseason looks more or less over. I think for the most part, they've addressed all their primary needs. We'll get into five, the Diamondbacks' five biggest moves in the offseason. We'll start from chronological order, from the Suarez trade to the Randall Gritchick signing. But before we do that, make sure you click the like button and subscribe to the Snakes and Diamond podcast and share with everyone you know. Uh, leave us a review if you're listening in, audio-only Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., and uh, with all those out of the way, let's get right into it. So, Wes, so the first move, Eugenio Suarez trade. The Dimebacks sent over right, flamethrowing right-hander Carlos Vargas, who they picked up in a trade the previous offseason, and Sebi Zavala, a late-season waiver claim at catcher, uh, to pick up Suarez to fill third base. So what do you, you think gotta, of the set? you got to like the cost. Like, that's essentially, like, you're trading spare parts there. Vargas wasn't... I mean, he's a live arm. He's too hard, but uh, still very much a diamond in the rough. Not much to miss. I, I'm I'm okay with losing that. Sebi Zavala was like Vicky said, it was a waiver wire pickup. So I mean, I really, you know, an afterthought too. Uh, that really, I mean, he's an upgrade over uh, Evan Longoria. Uh, he's excellent defensively. Strikes out a little too much. I think that's going might be something to, you know, a big con to this. Uh, acquisition is he, he does have a high strikeout rate he'll probably lead the team in strikeouts i i would not be surprised if he does um but you're getting a guy who's gonna you know he's a three 3.2 f4 last season which is well above average uh and i most most of that values defense since he was only a 102 wrc plus so i think it's great signing i mean that that addresses a major hole in the team as we saw in the offseason or uh, during the playoffs that third base was really an area of need uh, Longoria was literally on his last leg. Other than uh, you know, a couple uh, key defensive grabs that stand out in my mind during the the playoffs wasn't really a key co- contributor. Jace Peterson, uh, not great. Uh, Going in on Peterson, Peterson played through September and October with a torn meniscus. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's definitely a little bit of con- adding a little bit of context. So you're playing through a tough yeah. injury. Uh, Emmanuel Rivera is just very. Uh, not a, not a great. I mean, he's acceptable, you know, during the uh, down the stretch, but definitely not really uh, an everyday contributor that you can count on at least. Yeah, there's just not enough power. In his, there's just yeah. not enough game power in his bat. Raw power is decent enough, but uh, main thing, obviously, the big trade cost for Dimax is they traded their backup catcher. I think Savala would have been Dimax backup catcher going into yeah. the season. And, the organization doesn't have necessarily great capture depth. Their prospects are just are just getting to the upper minors. You got Adrian Del Castillo who had a, yeah. who saw showed some improvement in twenty three, although he did struggle in Reno. And then you got JJ Durazio, who I think is got a pretty interesting bat. Still we're a little bit of work in progress defensively. And then uh Christian Sardo's a year behind him as well. Yeah. If you look at the catcher prospects. I actually had taken a look at those guys in BP swings, uh Main thing I would say about, uh, I think Durazio, I think has the best power projection of them. And then, uh, Del Castillo, I think is going to be the most, is obviously the most major league ready. You could, you could slot him in for 15, 20 games this year, depending on what happens. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is uh yeah, you're right. That it doesn't have an impact just losing, you know, the, the likely backup catcher. Uh, I was, did he, how, how much, how much was he? Like I was not Herrera was the, was it Herrera or was it Savala during the playoffs? I thought it was. It was, was it Herrera, Herrera because Savala was yeah. not eligible to pitch not eligible, play in the postseason. Right. Okay, so I mean, like that's very much. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I could see, I could see Del Castillo uh, 
you know, in an emergency, he's probably close enough that it's not going to be an absolute disaster. But still, uh, as you can see, like some of the moves we made was to address that, like guys like Tucker Barnhart, you know, whomever. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, that is kind of the fallout from that move. But really, it's not a huge cost, in my opinion. Yeah. And then they, if you look at Suarez, obviously they pick up a guy who's a credible everyday third baseman. And you can yeah. use, a, you don't have to platoon the position necessarily. And I think Suarez also suffered from having to play 162 games. I think if you cut down his workload a little bit, that may help. Yeah. Especially since he's a bigger guy, older. And I believe he's going to show up the camp this year in better shape than last year. There was reports out of Seattle that Suarez showed up the camp a little bit out of shape. Yeah, that kind of let let that sort of led to the domino of them uh, trading the Arizona, basically a salary what we would consider a salary dump move. Yeah, you know, I did not realize that he he had played in 162 games uh, last season. And prior to that, it was uh, his career high was 159 in 2016, and he was a young that, guy back then. He's young. So yeah, no, he also did 2019 as well, 159 games, and that. I think that he definitely probably could have used some days off. I mean, that's once you get into your thirties, it that workload's going to catch up to you. So hopefully, you know, like there are credible backups at third there, much more for us than with Seattle last year. So I, I hope that helps uh, showing up in in shape to start the season. Uh, hopefully, that'll improve things as well. I mean, I I think he's a guy you can just you know you can rely on defensively at the very least, give you a little bit of pop, uh, get on base. Yeah, he's going to strike out. Uh, I mean, last last three years he has not, or no, like going back to twenty. He's always been a big strikeout guy. Going back to twenty nineteen, he struck out at least twenty eight point five percent of the time. Prior to that, it was twenty 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 four twenty five percent at most. So I mean, he's gone up a little. It's, he's increased his strikeout rate as he's gotten older, but that's the real area of concern is that he's going to strike a little more than you like, but I think this, the trade off of having that extra bit of power in the lineup is makes that more, accept, more than yeah, acceptable. If he, I would say if he can even just hit 240, like I said, you talked about the walks is on base yeah. is going to be league. Av- if he hits 240, he's going to have a league average on base percentage, which yeah. is fine. When you're talking about a six, seven hole hitter, he's going to, that's where he's going to bat yeah. in the D backs lineup. Most likely and you have that, which is fine. You can take a league average hitter with power, league average on base yeah. percentage with power. That's fine. And with an acceptable third base defensive profile too. I mean, I would I would say like his his defense actually. I mean, yeah, I know defensive metrics are very. Uh, shouldn't put, shouldn't put much stock into him, but his defense did. Uh, it's more so his age than uh, anything yeah. else. I would say. Yeah. Let me check his dr defensive runs saved. Wait a minute. Yeah, there's a little bit of a disagreement on the metrics. Defensive yeah. run saves has a negative two. And Statcast has him at plus eight outs above average. Yeah, I was looking. At, I was looking at Statcast. So, uh, I mean, that's. I don't think he's a defensive liability, which really was going. No. With. I know Long, Longo. You could really, you could tell that he's lost his step. Uh, yeah, Longo was never the same when he got when he hurt his back in July. Yeah, I mean, he definitely looked like a defensive liability towards the end of the season, and uh, not so much in the, in the. In the playoffs, I think that that environment kind of reinvigorated him. I, I reinvigorated him. I get that, but uh, you definitely didn't want to go into the season relying on another, you know, like an Evan Longoria. Uh, no. You want it's it's a good move. I, I like it. You know, just to sum up the sign, like I think it's a great upgrade. Addresses the the need clearly. Uh, it's everything you pretty much want, like defensively, offensively. Uh, perfect fit. So like that's a that's a great move. Uh, not very surprising seeing my case in trade with uh, Cherry Depoto. Yeah, we were but, about uh, that. I think there's been seven trades between the two guys. Yeah, that's uh, never a surprise when the two of them work together at this point. Uh, but I like the move. I, I mean, I would give it like a solid, like a a minus. I give it a B because there's still there's a lot of downside to this move in Dbex case. If Suarez is an everyday third baseman, you've yeah, paid a lot of money to case. not upgrade your position. That's the yeah. that's the main downside. That's why it gets a B and seven A. Okay, I mean, that's opinion. reasonable. I I don't see a reason. I mean, he could have done. I I don't really see better targets given the move is available that he. Yeah, that's had. why it gets a B. The move itself in a vacuum yeah. is a C, but because considering yeah. the the only the alternatives was either giving Candelario forty five million dollars, Matt Chapman one hundred fifty million dollars, 
by the way, Matt Chapman is still unsigned today. Yep. As of this video's publication. Also, uh, yeah, that's basically those were your alternatives. Yeah, there's not none of the other the other third basemen or, in the market were really credible. Like Justin Turner is not really a credible third baseman anymore. No, he's a first base DH type. Yeah, at the yeah, stage exactly. of his career. So, given the options, I I I'm just fine. I mean, Candelario, I would I wouldn't like that move, but uh, there's there's downsides to him too. So yeah, Candelario's weaker. Considering what you were saying, like organizationally, how it affected the move, like giving up on some of the backup catcher, I might knock it down to a B plus. But still, it's a good move. I mean, it depends. Like I said, it, losing Zavala, Zavala, if a guy like Adrian Del Castillo emerges as a legit backup option, then it's like, okay, maybe that that move yeah, or, that doesn't happen without that move kind of thing. That's or, why I'm not going to pan it too much. Castro breaking out. I mean, if if that if that happens, or Var- if Carlos Vargas, if that if that breaks, if he breaks out, I don't really see it as something that like he would have necessarily broken out with the Diamondbacks. So I mean, that would that wouldn't no affect my ranking at all down the line, even with hindsight, because it's not a guarantee that a guy like him would figure it out with the Diamondbacks yeah. necessarily. Yeah. I mean, they already have a flamethrowing arm that has more upside than Martinez too. Yeah, exactly. Martinez has a bullpen spot once he figures out how to throw strikes. Yeah. All right. So the next big move, we're going to sift on the next big move, the Diamondbacks signing Eduardo Rodriguez. We talked about that in episode 37. If you want to go back and check out that one. So the Diamondbacks signing Rodriguez to four years, $80 million. Big reason for Rodriguez picking Arizona was a chance to be able to live with his family pretty much year round. You get to live in Arizona in the off season, spring training and your home game. And you get to sleep in your own bed during the right when you're at home. That's kind of the things that uh, attracted him to here. And that's obviously an advantage that Arizona has for some players. If money is yeah. your primary motivation factor. Yeah, it's it's interesting wrinkle considering that uh, he had vetoed a trade to LA, but like given, you know, like the the context of okay, this is the off season, it's not a big deal, you know, having to to make the move and all that makes sense that he you you know Arizona the destination for him. You had suggested uh, Erod as a as a signing, and I think it's a little feather in your cap, Michael. Um, I this is another move that I really like, like it, in in terms of the options that we had available to us, like it's a solid signing, puts a left-hander in the, uh, the rotation, gives us a much more, I mean, it, it moves Brandon Fott from being a number three to like number four. I mean, overall it has a cascade effect on, on the rotation. So I really like this move. Also, they've been speaking, they've been raving about his uh, on-field leadership too. And Rodriguez, I think, Fits the mentor role pretty well. He's seen a lot. He's been around a while. He's he's won, he's been uh he's been on the winning side. He's won a World Series with the Red Sox in 2018 as their number four starter. And uh, the D-backs have a couple lefties on their 40 man roster who, like Rodriguez, are guys that have to rely on location, location sequencing. All pretty much, uh, they can't outstuff hitters. They have to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, a guy like Lynn could learn a lot from from Eduardo Rodriguez. So, um, that I mean, that's that's a, a factor that you know I I don't normally put a lot of weight to when it comes to free agent like you know signings or acquisitions in general. Is like you know just the the off the field stuff. I mean, unless it's like a, a purposeful like a guy bringing negatives to the clubhouse, like no negatives. I uh, I don't usually think about it. But that's that that makes it a better signing if he really can like you know help some of the young left-handers in the roster figure it out. What Tori hinted at, they may have Rodriguez pitch between Gallon and Kelly at the start. I like that. That's a good idea. Where they break it, you go right, left, right against Colorado to start of the season. Kind of thing, and then you know, if Henry makes the rotation, then you have a left-hander in every series, assuming it stays healthy. Yeah, that's I like that. Like as I said, it really does have a, a cascade effect on the on the rotation. And if, you, if yeah. you're moving Erod to the number two spot, then you have and Merrill Kelly is following up with just as strong of a season. Like that's, I mean, it, it's almost a game changer. And and how uh, facing this team is going to be consistently a challenge in each series. Hopefully, having you know left you know right handed solid left hander, another solid right hander. Another solid left-hander, just like just having to alternate, giving different looks at the, 
you know, the opposing offense, like that's, that's a real, uh, that can make a real difference in their season. Yeah. Cause you can't just lock in against a certain handedness with the starting pitcher. And that's, I think the trap, maybe, I don't know if that's how you can evaluate that, but the certainly D backs could have certainly fell in this trap because all their useful stars were right-handed last year. Yeah. Only, I, I, especially once Henry went down in July with the elbow injury. They, they all have very similar looks too. Like there's not really that much. I mean, yes, you can throw in like Brandon fought as being a little different from yeah lower arm slot. Lower, yeah. I mean, that's other than him. Like it's pretty much, you're getting very similar looks, uh, you know, long-term over the course of a season like that's the familiarity does add up in my opinion. So, I mean, like that's, that, that could be a key, uh, you know, just, just having that, the difference there, like that, that really can help things next season, like this 2024 season rather. Yeah. And I was gonna say, Brandon fought, I think to me is an X factor because like I said, if you were to admit, I mean, we, maybe we can talk about this in a later episode, but Brandon fought to me is the Lynch is going to be the guy that determines the ceiling of this rotation. Whereas you already have a solid one, two, three of Gallon Kelly Rodriguez. Um, if you can get 90 starts out of those guys, I feel like the D-backs are going to win 60 of them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a real... Uh, 55, I should say. Let's not get too greedy. I mean, it, that turns your, your rotation from being just like a solidly, you know, like an above average rotation to being like, you know, top five, you know, in the league rotation. I mean, you're not going to be quite to the level of I mean, like, who who would you say is the best rotation right now in the league? I'd say Philadelphia has the best rotation in the National League. Yeah, I mean, of course, we say that obviously with with the fact that the Diamondbacks got past them. Yeah, by the skinner teeth, but still. I mean, the Dodgers rotation is is a you know I actually I really like the Diamondbacks compared to who else were you know. Uh, in the NL West, especially, like I don't think that, that I mean you're relying on Tyler Glass now uh, and older mm-hmm. Clayton Kershaw. There's a lot of very uh, potentially injury prone pitchers there that uh, uh, Walker like, Buehler coming off his second Tommy yeah, John surgery as well. Yeah, basically everyone there, and then you have some people that are definitely not going to like what's his name, uh, Arias, who are going to be brought back. Arias uh, is going to Arias isn't going to sign with anyone these right now. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing is that I mean, when we look at San Diego's rotation. I mean, is I mean, Darvish Blake. showing signs of age, ages? Yeah, Blake Snell is delusional yeah. with his yeah. contract demands. Should have so, taken I the mean, 150 million from the Yankees. I mean, and the Rockies are really. I mean, I, I would say we definitely have a better rotation than. Did the, the Rockies Padres, do anything this offseason? I don't think they have. I don't think they have. I think they signed a reliever or something like that. Um, say the, it's like so, the I mean, are, that's the thing with this move is it makes it better a better rotation than pretty much. I'd say arguably for like you know of our NL West opponents, it's better than everyone except for maybe the Dodgers. And I say there's some there's some real question marks there whether you you could you know say for sure. I mean, yeah, Yamamoto is is by far like that's one of the best pickups. The entire offseason. Yeah, I was gonna say right Yamamoto is the best pitcher in the division in terms of pure yeah, talent. By, by far, I, I would give you. I, I agree with you there. Um, and really, I'll also I, add, I I would I, if the Giants add it. Add, I hate to say it, but if they add Blake Snell or you know if they can make another rotation improvement, they could be kind of there with us. But really, like it's really between the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers right now in the NL West in terms of pitching. And we have an article on SI.com that actually compares the Diamondbacks uh, offseason to the Giants. Jack wrote that. You want to check that out. In fact, I think a lot of people have already checked it out. And it got pretty good. It got a pretty good reception. There's a lot of views on that one, but because that's interesting because you see uh, the Giants obviously try uh, surprise to the Diamondbacks offseason is they were able to add basically $50 million in payroll in one offseason. Yeah. Whereas the uh, the Giants obviously signing uh, Young Hu Lee as their big marquee guy, and then a couple interest. And then like the Diamondbacks, they basically attack the middle of the free, the middle, uh, the mid tier of the free agent market. Yeah, in my opinion. So the trade, and then they trade for Robbie Ray as well. He's in, he's injured, so that's that's yeah. the question of of okay. So it's a second. Isn't this like a second Tommy John or something like that? No, this is first. 
Ray didn't really have any arm troubles until last year. Okay, so I mean, he's coming back from major surgery. That's not someone you can really count on. It's a similar position. But in terms of like going into the year, Diamondbacks have the clear. I mean, I I would take their rotation over pretty much everyone other than. I mean, think about this one. The Giants are signing Jordan Hicks to be their number four starter. Basically, Jordan Hicks, who's been a reliever. He's got 10 career starts, and uh, the Cardinals aborted that one pretty quickly. Yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, I really I really like what the, the, the E-Rod edition, like, it, it makes it much more clear. Like, we, I think we have a really good rotation going into, into the 2024 season. Um, and, I mean, there's not really much, like, other players. That they could have, like, Blake Snell is not consistent yeah. enough to be given that amount of money. I, I take uh, E-Rod over Blake Snell any day of the week. Um yeah, Erod at four and eighty versus whatever Snell's going to land, I think is a better yeah, deal. Absolutely. Like so, it doesn't like in terms of that move. I mean, given given the budget, uh, kind of what what we can afford in a vacuum. I mean, that's another like B plus move right there. A-. Yeah, I would consider that. I would consider that B plus move. There's obviously downside, but that's mostly if he doesn't age well. Rodriguez is the it's type just, of pitcher to me. I think that will age well. He's he's good at hitting his spot. He's really good at hitting his spot. So I think. But that applies uh, to every free free agent signing in general, especially since you know any free agent very, signing over the age of thirty. Very rarely are you gonna get a guy who's like you know hitting like Yamamoto. One of the reasons why that's such a big deal is he's twenty six. I don't even think he's twenty five yet. I, I think I think this is his age twenty six. He's I could be wrong. He could be just twenty five. But I mean, he's very young. Is my point, and it's not very often you have a guy that young coming yeah, to you know the signing. So yeah. Taking away from that, I mean, if that concern that a, applies to every, every starter, every, every, a, every, you know, major free agent signing. Yeah, I was in kindergarten when uh, the day that Yoshinobu Yamamoto was born. So, yeah, he's young. He's a young so guy. He's 20, he's, uh, so it'll be his age 25 season yeah, in 2024. Okay. So uh, accepting that where you have guys like that, you're, you're going to accept the risk that with a free agent pitcher. I mean, generally okay, you come up, you're signed as an international free agent or, you know, or you're drafted, you're either going to be 16, 17, an international free agent. I mean, the uh, thing of- 18, if you're drafted 19 out of high school, 21, 22 out of college. So you have your, what, six, four or five years that you spend in the minors. Then you have another six years of control. Uh, you're not going to be hitting free agency until 27, 28, generally at the earliest. Most free agents don't hit it before they're 30. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, Yamamoto Yam is a unique free agency case, as is Otani, obviously, when we talk about the money being spent on those two. Yeah. Like, you don't usually see a pitcher of Yamamoto's caliber hit the free agent yeah, market, market at 25. Yeah, so that's, that's not one of those things. This is Although we may see that more often. I, I think that you're going to see a lot more Japanese pitchers motivated to to include that with their contracts of of being able to to leave earlier than they would otherwise. Right now, the rules don't really even normally allow a guy to come over that young. So, but I'm saying really, given that, I think Erod's, you know, he's young for, he's 30 years old. He's still young. Especially yeah, for, I mean, that's, a, that's an average free agent pitcher. Yeah. I'm going to talk about obviously the X stats on, uh, if you ever look up a baseball savant page, the X stats on the Erod are pretty, I would say it's stuff wise is pretty average. It's, Average and pretty average results overall. Well, like I said, uh, average starting pitcher still gonna average starting pitcher is gonna pay for that contract. I think. I think we have to look yeah. at uh, what's the dollar value of WAR. I think you look at for a free agent. I think it's ten million dollars per additional WAR added. Yeah, I mean it, it's a if for the price like that's really four years, eighty million, twenty million dollars a year. Like that's really. It's a, I mean, it's a little more than you'd like. I mean, he's, he hasn't, I usually use fan graphs war and you usually use the or, um, he hasn't had a quite a four war season. He's at a 3.9 going in 2021. Um, he's at three war last year. He did not, I think he only had, he was injured in 2022. So no, um, he left the team to go address the family situation. That was oh, okay. Okay. That's right. But you know, so then you know you're looking at a guy who's going to be three to four WAR. Um, that's that's not that's about market rate for what, what we signed him for. 
maybe you know he's a little little better on him on his end and what he's getting dollar wise but uh in the free agent market we're in right now i mean that's it's a great signing all right so next one is lourdes guriel jr on a three-year 42 million dollar contract there's an opt-out of the second year which uh would allow guriel to hit the free agent market after the 2025 season but basically structured as two and 24 plus, I guess you say a player opt in for one year and $18 million in year three is how it's yeah. structured. But if Scurriel were to age pretty well, that fourth year, there is a club option for a fourth year, but obviously that's not necessarily a topic we're discussing before 2025. Yeah. That's I mean, 2026, I should say. I wouldn't really call this a, uh like a big signing or like, I mean, this is a lateral move. We're, we're just holding, holding him in place. It's not, it's not a move down or up. I mean, of course, I mean, I think, I think Goriel could get better actually. That, that would be the hope with this is that uh, last year was, you know, career high in war defensive value. I uh, looking at his not, not quite, you know, offensively. Like, I mean, he took a step back offensively, but he took some major steps forward defensively. If his defense is real and his offense can get back to where it was, it's a, you know, that's a big deal. I was going to say the biggest deal for Guriel last year was he was healthy for most of the season. He set a career high in plate appearances and yeah. every offensive metric across the board rate wise was pretty, I think rate wise was pretty close numbers wise. I think you look at, uh, look at his numbers, obviously strikeout walk rates were pretty Actually, his strikeout rate was a little bit lower than his career numbers. Home run rate was yeah, within his career averages. If you ignore that one year, he played basically with a broken with a broken wrist or something like yeah. that. Played with a bad I wrist. Mean, it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, no, you're you're actually 100. I'm like looking at his games played. He, he never played in more than 84 games before 2021. Um, obviously he basically played a full, full season in 2020 of 57 games, but, uh, I mean, I think he's a guy who we could see, like, I think he, he just strikes me as a type of guy who's going to get better. I'd be very wrong. I'd be very surprised if he gets worse. Like he has a, you know, a down year next year, or even the year after I, I would think he might actually improve along the lines of a Jose Batista. I was going to say also with Guriel. I mean, the only thing that was down relative to his career is probably the balls and play average. It was down to 282 versus a career rate of 316. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see that now. Yeah. He, he was actually kind of unlucky on his balls in play. So, I mean, the signs are there that he could have a better year going to for 2024. That would, that would be a coup right there. Yeah. I mean, Guriel's. Is a guy that's this contract's going to age pretty well for the D backs, unless his bat unless his bat completely vanishes. But then there's a different problem. I think health wise, yeah. if he's a healthy over the next two, three, four years, it's going to be a good deal for the D backs. Like I said you're talking about a guy that if he's able to play healthy and obviously a, a 592 plate appearances is going is as good as it's going to get. 592 to 600, it's going to it's going to be as good as it gets health wise for Guriel. You get. You have a guy that's a 20 homer 80 RBI bat in your lineup, 35 to 40 doubles. So, like I said, you have well, he's well liked in the clubhouse, too. I mean, that's one of the big things that we learned last year is he was a a very like good clubhouse presence. And I think that like having him return, uh, that's a that's a more just important part of uh, you know, like this offseason of like bringing that presence back into the clubhouse was important. So, I like it just for that. Yeah, that, we were spec. Uh, this is a fun thing. So we're uh, back in May. Jack, Jesse, and I were speculating about what it would take to bring him back, and I said I'd pay three and thirty-five. So I said I think I'm the closest. I'm saying what it would take to bring him back. Obviously, D-backs paying a little bit more because Gray yeah, ended I, up having a better season than we thought he put together. But I mean, that's, that's honestly like I, it's a it's a good deal for both sides. Uh, I would be, I would be, if he opts out, that's a good thing. That means he, he's done remarkably well. He's improved upon, you know, improved upon what he's done each season. If he's going to end up opting out in 20, or, uh, you know, after 2025, the 2026 season, that means that either he doesn't want to play anymore or he's been good enough that he can make the money. And uh, yeah, that, he's only going to opt it. That's the outcome we should be hoping for. 
he's only going to opt out of that if he feels like he can get a multi-year deal after 25. That pays him at least $25 million. So I think for, for uh, Lourdes' sake and for the D-backs, you know, chance, like the best thing that they can do is really like for him to keep, if he progresses forward and, and continues to improve defensively and, you know, kind of steps up offensively more. I'd like to see it like, I mean, he's just, just barely above league average offensively. I, I'd like to see him, you know, improve upon what he did last season. Yeah. And he's got more comf- I think more familiarity with the ballpark that he's playing in at home. I, Cause there's some plays that Gurriel can make that nobody else in the outfield can make just simply because he's six foot four and athletic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he's, the, he's, he's gotten really good at making that over the shoulder catch. Yeah. That's, that's it, the thing is, that's one thing I think he's going to do better than anyone else because he's tall. He's going to steal and also steal some home runs because he's tall. I'm just laughing at that because you have some pretty short outfielders. With the, it was like five, five, eight Corbin Carroll. And uh, yeah, it's like he's, he's, six, he's four giant, and he's surrounded by giant. short Kings. Yeah. He's a, he's a giant amongst, uh, amongst men right there. So, I mean, I, like I said, I mean, this is a move that I, I don't really feel fair grading is is like it's a it's a i approve of it just by default you know yeah how how important do you think it was for the d-backs from a fan base perspective to bring back a fan favorite player i think it's important i think it was like i mean it kind of shows some uh goodwill towards the fan base because it's we you know after the a lot of d-backs fans have gotten uh I don't know. After the after Goldschmidt was traded, uh, I've seen a lot of fans become hesitant to really like cling to the team and like have favorites. So having a fan favorite brought back like that, hopefully that means more fans in the ballpark. I mean, we had a World Series run. You're bringing back fan favorites. You bolster the rotation. You bolster the lineup. Um, what else could you ask for? So I mean, it. it I, I, if they hadn't brought him back and they brought back someone, you know, who was you know, a good signing. I don't know who, you know, you'd be. Let's Honestly, say, if you look at, let's say they got Cody at, Bellinger on a steal. Okay. Of a deal. Like would, would the, would you be upset with that? Depends how much they paid. If they're going over $20 million a year, I'd be. We're going, we're, we're, go, we're going the same, same exact amount. Okay. Just to make it fair. Get Cody Bellinger for, for three forty five. If all Scott Boris could get Cody Bellinger was three and 42, he'd fire him. Okay, so let's say it's three fifty. <laughs> let's let's give him let's let's do a little better for for because he's got four. No, you're talking three and seventy three and seventy two for Bellinger is what you would that, probably get okay. on a three year deal. I mean, you would be upset over those dollar numbers, but like, would yeah. you be that upset for not bringing back Guriel? I mean, I could get how some fans would be upset over that, but I mean, to me, if you're upgrading the position, I'm, I don't think Bellinger's the best example, but you kind of get what I was going with that. I because is there reason to be upset if you upgraded the position? Yes, because I feel like for that kind of money it would take to sign Bellinger, they should invest in a pitcher instead. No, and I, I get it, but in a, in a vacuum, though, is what I'm saying. Is it really like, is it that important? As long as you're you're bringing back that production, I think it's really what matters to me. And they did that, so like I'm more happy for bringing back that production than I necessarily am for bringing back a fan favorite for real. I mean, to me, it's the opportunity cost more so that hurts with Bellinger more so than his actual talent ability. Is he an upgrade over? He's an upgrade over an outfielder not named Corbin yeah. Carroll. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. It's not I the on field talent that bothers me. It's the fact that Wag signed Bellinger to three and 70, a hypothetical, let's double yeah. this number, six and 144. That's about right. When four hundred forty-four million dollars, you can sign Guriel to a three-year deal, and Eduardo Rodriguez, yeah, exactly, and Jock Peterson. So yeah, that's pretty much Jock Peterson, what we're looking at. That's really what we're looking at. Is is okay? So you can sign one guy for you know super high, you know super huge contract, and then that's it. Or you have you know you fill all of your team's holes and you know upgrade it. You know each position that you needed to. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take the ladder every day of the week. I mean, the thing about Bellinger is it's not a bad fit. Like he's an, like I said, Bellinger would be your everyday center fielder, and when Walker and you can afford to let Walker go, yeah. and you just move Bellinger down to first base next year. Because that wouldn't have been a bad move. I would have been okay. It's with that. It's not a but, bad move. It's just an opportunity cost. Yeah. So if you lose the cost of signing Erod or anyone else, then yeah, that's that's where you get upset over it. It's like you could have used mm-hmm. those dollars and allocated them more effectively. 
Yeah, and the D-backs did, and that's what the D-backs did, in my opinion. So, I, I mean, I like overall, I like that much better than, you know, unless you're getting a talent like a like a Roki Sasaki or Yamamoto or someone who's really, like, going to make a vast improvement. Like, you're, you're upgrading, yeah. and you're, like, it's a, a major upgrade in, in your positions. Then Someone uh, that I, won't move the needle forward four to five yeah. wins at a minimum. It's like signing Blake Snell, okay? Like, yeah, but for Blake Snell, that ain't worth it. For Roki Sasaki, totally worth it. I mean, the problem with Snell is you don't know what you're going to get out of him year to year, and that's yeah, why he's still in the free agent much. market. He wants yeah. to get paid like an ace, but he's only pit. And I'm not even sure if he's pitched like an ace for one season. It's it's like you're he to me. It's almost like Merrill Kelly trying to seek those numbers. Is he's a good pitcher? Blake Snell's a good pitcher, uh, but I don't think he should be paid like like you know like an ace per se. You know the weird thing is I'd rather pay a Merrill Kelly than a Blake Snell. Yeah, at least yeah. Mer- Merrill's been With, a more consistent. A healthy season for Merrill Kelly is 200 innings. Yeah, so that's the thing. It, 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 you know, really, it, opportunity cost is a great way to sum up the off season overall. Actually, is the Diamondbacks have allocated the money that they had to spend very well, and that's you know, uh, when you're when you're not the Dodgers, you're not the Yankees, you're not you know, one of the you, most valuable sports franchises in the world, which is those those are like literally the top ten most valuable sports franchises. Um, versus the Diamondbacks, I don't even think are in like the top fifty. So that's Diamondbacks what you are in the bottom. Diamondbacks are in the bottom ten for league revenue. That's why they keep yeah. getting a comp. That's why they get an extra draft pick every year. Exactly. So when you when you're you don't have the market, you know, position to do that, you work with the tools that you have available. And the Diamondbacks have done very well with what they've had of of selecting from you know not not necessarily the best free agents, but like for their their market position they've done very well so can't can't say can't say i fault them with the signings so far they're all very good i don't know what i would do differently yeah dimebacks are mid-market teams so you're going to see them aggressively attack when they have the money to spend the attack the middle tier free agency because their best chance of getting an impact player is going to be uh from the draft international free agents which they've actually yeah. gotten much better at of late to, as well like you can look at some of their you look at their last three international sign classes. So I'm not concluding 24, 21, 22, and 23. You have somebody there in yeah. the top 30 prospect list. You look at, uh, obviously 22 is the big one. They have three guys in that are going to be popular in the top half of the list, top 30 lists. And you have two guys from 30, 23. Obviously the bot is on. Too. Well, they haven't played yet. They haven't played yet, but I like their, I like their international signings. They did really, really well there. To- I'm drawing a blank on who they have for 2021. 20, I'm going to do a quick look on that one real quick. I think I have a guy from there on my top 30. Yeah, I can't. I, I'm blanking on the name. But then again, uh, 21, I think you can count two lists. Uh, oh, yeah. So some interesting names from the 21 list. You got uh, the two Pena's, Mon- Manuel Pena, Jefferson Pena, though. Uh, the former is fizzled out a little bit in high A. And then uh, Jakey Josepha, I think, is a guy is a guy that had pretty good numbers in the complex in 23. Yeah, he's an interesting Oh, yeah, Yilber Diaz, that. too, is part of that yeah, list. Although he was an older si- Diaz is an older signing, but Diaz is, is your top 30 right out of that class. Let's get our next our next big moves here. So yeah, Jack Peterson. Jock yeah. Peterson, what we talked about last time. Yeah, we talked about Peterson episode forty, the Jock and I episode. So if you wanted to watch how that one goes, but uh, I, so anyways, I think it's important to look at them actually with the other big signing of of because we're they're basically filling. I I Grichik, actually I, I almost be, we'll get to him next, but Peterson, I think we've kind of he's actually addressed my biggest concern with him is he's showed up to spring training in great shape so good job jock on uh hustling and taking the taking that uh off-season weight off because he, he looks good in the, yeah, the pictures i've seen so i mean if he's motivated and he's you know ready to really play and give his full effort and you know all that i'm i like i like the signing as as a, in a vacuum i'm fine with it uh yeah, we saw it 
So we with be, Atlanta. He's going to be platooning. He's it, it's. I mean, as long as we're limiting his exposure, uh, to yeah. same hand at, at, at bats, the same hand pitchers, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. If it's if he's getting you know, play a lot of playing time in the outfield and you know things the D-backs are wrong. deep enough. The backs are deep enough in the outfield that Jock Peterson isn't going to be playing significant stretches in a row, games in a row yeah. in the outfield. If somebody gets hurt, they got like say for example, uh, Alec Thomas gets hurt, Jake McCarthy. I mean, I think I mean you know it, or Harry Bros is available. If they platoon Peterson and Grichuk, uh effectively, and like it's real, like you know, I, I as long as they're they're. Your playing time is allocated the right way. Like it's a great moves. Like, like if I, you think get Peterson- you can, you, I, I think the combination Jock Jock Chuck DH is actually like a potentially very good one. I'm coining yeah, the term. Right. We're calling it. We're calling him Jock Chuck. It's a great name. That's the D- uh, leave a comment. Tell me how much you hate it, please. Well, we should forward that one to Dan Zimborski. Oh, he might like. He might like that Jock Chuck. Yeah. I think he did, he might actually put that on the Zips projection. I, you actually, know, Grandel Grishuk is like they both have the same like they both cannot hit same handed pitching. Like it's really like not even like they should not be seeing the same handed pitching at all over the next like they really that's my main concern is that them just being played against guys that they should have no business being played against. Like as long as that doesn't happen, it's a good move. So percentage-wise, what do you think the ideal number of plate appearances you think would be for Peterson and Grichik to have the platoon advantage? Um, Remember, I it's forget. easier to it's easier to hold a it's easier to hide a left-handed bat than a right-handed bat. I mean, platoon I bat. would think, I would think that uh, Peterson. Is if you need to, you can look. I'm not sure like what the how the handing this breaks down over you know like, just, over you can look it up on baseball season. reference if you had to. So if you want me to go you want me to give you an idea of numbers? Yeah, yeah, I have no idea. So the numbers I'm looking at with uh Peterson, I think you're gonna see eighty, eighty five percent of his plate appearances come against right handed pitching. Okay. The uh, times you'll see lefties are and maybe they might pinch hit for him in those situations, but a lefty comes into the game is I think when you're going to see because, yeah. uh, and I think it's actually good for, um, I'm not sure how the D backs will structure a lineup, but I think you follow up Peterson with an impact right hand bat. Yeah. Somebody that hits left hand pitching really well, because then that way they bring in the lefty. If you pinch it for Peterson. That guy does his job. And now you got yeah. an RBI situation right there. Yeah, that makes sense. Although I don't think he'll be hitting in front of Walker. Because I don't like the idea of starting my lineup with three left. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, you can tell Marte's a better hitter from the right side of the plate, but you're going yeah. Carroll, Marte, Peterson. That's just begging the other manager to bring in a lefty. Now, of course, yeah, that, uh, that's not ideal lineup construction. So, I mean, this is really how I feel about it. It's like you can make a really good team look really bad by managing them poorly. And I, I, I trust that the Tory and Hazen kind of have a plan worked out on how they're going to distribute at bats. And if it's, if it's a well thought out plan, I think that you can, you can get well above average production out of that, out of the DH position. And even, uh, Grichuk has the defensive, he has some defensive, uh, value in the outfield. He's not fantastic, yeah. but I, and, and the corners he's, he's acceptable, uh, much more yeah, than they're talking about. The, they were talking about the possibility of seeing how he'd look in center field. So that way they can just keep Carroll in right field on an everyday basis. I mean, he's not, he's an acceptable center fielder. He's not like my preference. Well, you're not, not asked. They're not asking him to play center f- field all the time. Like he's going to have. Yeah. In a pinch, I'm assuming is what we're talking about. Is like if they, you know, just so they can keep Carroll in right field. That makes sense. That, that would be an asset that he could bring to the table. That's that you get that more than you would out of. I mean, they're both purely DHs. Like that's doesn't work out. For me, you need to have yeah. one of them with some defensive versatility. So at least Grichuk has that. Yeah. I mean, I like I just like the combination of their, their bats. Uh, yeah. Should give us much better production this year than last year. 
I mean, if you consider the alternatives, I think you have when we look, they also talked about fam fam's a left fielder only type thing. Yeah. That's, he's kind of redundant. You're talking about exactly. as an everyday player. And he's also older than Goriel. Peterson th- and fam would have been great for the memes, but other than that, not, it would have gotten old after about, it would have gotten old, like literally five hours after the signing happened. Well, here, here's what would happen is we would hear about it every single time a new team comes in town. They'll be like, Jock Peterson, Tommy Pham, because they haven't talked about it. So every single time you'll hear about the, the Diamondbacks or your, your team's playing the Diamondbacks, that's what would happen. is They'd be like, oh, Jock Peterson, Tommy Pham, playing together, blah, 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 blah. That's what would happen. It would have gotten old uh, within like the second time. It would have been old by now. Yeah, it would have been old. I've been making jokes about it since, like, since we signed Peterson, yeah. so... Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, if you look at Alfie Mix, obviously Gritchick, I Gritchick can play right with primary position, I think should be right field, obviously. Yeah. Carroll's most likely going to see off days against left hand pitching anyway. So that's when you would put Gritchick in right and maybe a little bit in center when you take Thomas off the field. Yeah. And Thomas is going to get some starts against left hand pitching. It's not like he's going to get completely shielded. We're not talking like a Peterson 80-85% platoon advantage. We're talking more like 65-70 with Thomas, in my opinion. I I would think that Thomas is on a much shorter leash than he was last year. Uh, If he does not hit, his major league career is going to be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, Think about it this way. At least in terms of being an everyday starter. Think about it this way. The Diamondbacks have rebuffed all trades asking for Alec Thomas, and they basically made jake mccarthy available to the white Sox. they wanted him yeah yeah they did they, it, was, it was it was fletcher or or uh, jake mccarthy so yeah um i mean that's basically i mean those two things right there should tell you how the organization values those yeah. two players like, yeah, they aren't even interested in alec thomas trade but they're fine with shipping mccarthy out it's, it's interesting i mean i think the thing was alec thomas thankfully has a very high floor uh, just, just due to defensive value. He's a fantastic yeah. outfielder. That's he's an thing. average starting center fielder, despite the fact he can't hit. That's the thing. Yeah. That's his floor. That's he thing. can't hit. He, with a okay. terrible, with a career on base percentage of 274 and an OPS plus of 71. Juan Pierre. That's kind of, you know, the low end of what his career could be is Juan Pierre. Yeah. I think Thomas could be a better player than Juan Pierre, but obviously, if you look at Juan Pierre, Pierre had a career on base percentage of 343. Yeah. It's amazing that Juan Pierre had a career as long as he did. When Still yours, astounds me. Of course, Juan Pierre was a terrible base stealer. Just, yeah. yeah. That. <laughs> In terms of rate. Yeah. He let, there he really were was. plenty of seasons. Yeah. Pierre led the, national, led the league in caught stealing in seven terrible different seasons. Terrible caught base stealer. Okay. I think that's like the floor of how awful Alec Thomas could be. Is like he's Juan Pierre. So best, I'm hoping that his career goes better than that. Yeah, Pierre's best stolen base season is age ironically age 34, and the ratio is uh, 37 to seven. That's kind of astounding that he was allowed to play for that long. Considering he wasn't but, hurting teams, but it was it's like, yeah, no, I mean, he, he had some value there. I mean, he had, he had, uh, actually his two season, three seasons with, uh, Florida were excellent. He actually was very good in 2003 and 2004. It was okay. in 05. that was his peak career. But I mean, if you look at that, that's, that was his peak was a 4.2, uh, F4 season. Oh, yeah. I'm going to make a kind of, correction. That, that kind of seems like his nice the ceiling for Thomas. I said 71, uh, OPS plus with Thomas. It's actually 75. Yeah. Although kind of the upside for Thomas is Thomas almost has as many career home runs as one Pierre. Let me put this, let's put this in even better context of like uh, why I throw out Juan Pierre is Juan Pierre's best season. Uh, the 4.2 F4 season. He was only league average offensively. Yeah. Because he was a good defensive uh, center fielder, so that's I mean literally that's all all Thomas needs to do is beat average defensively. I get where they're coming from and, and valuing him more because his defense actually is that much better. I mean he passes eye I mean, test. Uh, Thomas has been nominated. I've been a Gold Glove finalist for two years. Yeah, his first two years in the league. That's this goes without yeah, saying. Well, so I mean, 
Uh, yeah, that says it says a lot there that they they don't really. Jake McCarthy's on on. Then actually, there's a real question of if he makes the roster now with these two with Grichik on the on the roster. Uh, Grichik's coming. They may actually roster McCarthy because Grichik is coming off ankle surgery in January, so he's oh, okay. not going to play at all this spring. He's not going to pl- get any games this spring. Is from why what they why I just oh, heard today. Okay. That makes sense then. So. Grichik might basically Grichik's first month of the season might be basically spring well, training. Well, t- I take that him. back then. Uh, Jake McCarthy will probably make the roster then. Be very but surprised then you, if he doesn't. But then again, who are you going to bump off to put on there? You're going to have to take someone out of your infield. Uh, who's on her depth chart right now? I don't even know. I mean, you're looking we'll at. I mean, you're looking. I'm basically you can slot five players onto the roster right now. You you can figure out the first four, and then you got. And Manuel Rivera is probably your fifth infielder, and you're going to need someone who can play up the middle. Yeah, I mean that's why you're. I, I, I that's why Jordan there's a roster Waller coach. Be, it, that's why I really I I think that they need to put Jordan Lawler almost starting shortstop. Move move Perdomo to your utility infielder. Manuel Rivera as your corner backup. I mean that's the route I would go. Well, that's not but the route they're the going to go. The, the, the team's not going to go that way. I know. They're I know. not. The route they're going is Perdomo is the starting shortstop. You know, ifs, ands, or buts. Even though I think it's a bad idea, but Very bad based idea. on the roster like they that. have, based on the roster they have, Perdomo's the only shortstop in the organization with a positive track record of at least one season. I'm going to predict that by my birthday, Jordan Waller will be the starting shortstop. Hmm. I can see that happening. May seventh, May, is- May first week of May. All it takes is a bad start from Perdomo, and by May they're going to start, you know, start Lawler there. So, um, yeah. I think that's I, mean, I they, think that's really Zips. Really, I mean, I'm looking at all the projections this offseason, and then like literally every talent evaluator, uh, every projection system sees no reason to to be hesitant about uh, <laughs> putting Lawler as a you know promoting him, giving him everyday job. Like the projections all love him. Well, keep in mind Zips doesn't necessarily assign the correct playing time for no, a no, I'm just saying, in terms of zips is uh like their uh the, the actual zips top prospect list it moves him up like five space. he's the number three prospect number one is yamamoto so like that throw them out automatically because yamamoto to me yamamoto is really not really a prospect not, it's only i think it's only uh churio who has a better like you know a better that zips likes more so to me and we know what the brewers think of him the Brewers really like Churio, so they basically um, gave him Cor- Corbin Carroll money without him playing a game. Yeah, so I mean, to me, that's why I have zero. I mean, between that, other talent players talking about it, looking at the actual like going through all the projection systems, they all love Lawler. I think a lot of people are putting way too much weight into that last month and the the playoffs. I think the team is too. Um, so yeah, I'd be very just surprised. Wanna, they just want to see him prove it first. This is kind I of get thing because. Lawler is going to be an upgrade defensively over Perdomo. That's there's yeah. no questions about that. Yeah. So I mean, that's kind of why I have that that view. Um, Lawler's the type of guy. Really- if he can hit better than two sixty, he's going to be a four war shortstop, in my opinion. Yeah. So I mean, I think that they should he should be given the chance to do that. I uh, obviously tell I disagree with the team's decision. <laughs> I think you do too, but we'll see. Uh, come, come, comment at me when I'm wrong, and in May seventh, and wish me a happy birthday. Um, I was gonna say if this was the D-backs who had similar expectations as they did entering 2023, I think they might have given Lawler a longer leash. Oh but yeah, they if, if they didn't, if they didn't get to the World Series, wanna... I think I think Lawler would be the starting shortstop. Yeah, I was gonna say Lawler's gonna have to put up the video game numbers he put up in AAA in that small sample last year for maybe like a month before they consider yeah. the possibility of calling him up. And obviously, when we get when that time comes down, fortunately, uh, batted ball data for AAA exists if you know where to find it. I mean, I think the only other shortstop that's on the forty-man roster would be Blaze Alexander, and it's like you have to make moves to make that happen. So that's not going to happen. I don't well, know what they're going to do there. I mean, he's on the forty-man roster, so it's just a simple up-down, up-down. Yeah. But the problem is, Alexander's already been passed by Lawler. Yeah, exactly. At that point, you just unless it's like an emergency or. I just don't see. I don't know what they're going to do there. It seems like weird. I can see it. I can see him getting a look if they have an injury at third base. Yeah, that seems like a possibility. I mean, Rivera's not an everyday player, and maybe I don't know if they go with 
uh, if Jace Pearson will be even around, but obviously it's, yeah. I think I would be surprised if he isn't. I think Jace Pearson is going to be your sixth infielder. Based on how the roster is constructed right now. Probably. But the problem is then you don't have a guy that can play shortstop. But then again, yeah. I don't know if Kevin Newman's a guy who can play shortstop either. Yeah, see, those those solos are, my, are lesser moves that, uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to move the needle. A guy like Tucker Barnard That's... or Kevin Newman. Uh, I mean, we, I think I think the pitchers that they, you know, the lesser pitchers that they acquire, like uh, Christian Mena could make an impact this year. Uh, yeah, uh, give him a year in AAA Brandon, and then decide if he's ready. Brandon Hughes. Um, yeah, I don't. Th- the only thing that hurts Hughes, Jose he Castillo. I was the thing that hurts Castillo and Hughes is he, they don't have forty man roster spots. Yeah, like the Diamondbacks so actually have talking. some decent options with their left hand relievers, and the guys they have on their forty man roster have multiple options remaining. So it's not like yeah. they're they lack the roster flexibility. It's just making the forty man move to get them on there. Yeah. Those are just, I mean, we we're talking about offseason moves was pretty much it when it comes to the rest of the moves that they've made. I mean, there's few, few. I mean, I think in terms of minor league contracts, those are the most notable ones um, and trades as far like Christian Mena. That was who we got for Dominic yeah. Fletcher. I uh, that he actually could be a key contributor down the stretch. They'll have to be a roster move if we they do utilize him. But uh, it could be an underrated move. Uh, same thing with Hughes and and Castillo. I. Uh, might be someone something that pays off down the road that most people have not even thought about of you know guys who who would who do who would even would you even think that would make a an impact they probably could make an impact down the stretch so um, yeah, I like that I like those pick I like those moves and uh, Tucker Barnhart I uh, I think kind of was brought I mean we have no we have no backup catcher that we talked about that I mean, before. basically like, we, have, we have very little depth there and he's got a good link with uh, Erod so. I, I like think, that just for that. Yeah. The things I've seen from Tucker Barnhart, his arm is not very, his arm is pretty much shot compared to where he was in yeah. his heyday winning gold gloves. Like if you, if you ever watch the catchers throw the bases, like you watch Moreno and then you watch everyone else. It's like Moreno's got a cannon compared to everyone else. Actually, Moreno doesn't have a cannon. What makes Moreno so good is he, there's no wasted movement and he's yeah. And the thing is, if you actually watch it, I should have taken video of this one. I was there on. I, I just changed it. He's got a sniper rifle. He's he's very accurate. He's got a very accurate throwing. The thing about Moreno is when he pops up from his stance, he actually doesn't. Everyone else kind of pops all the way up. He doesn't. Yeah. Like you watch Herrera. Herrera kind of pops up when throwing to second base. Not even though his momentum is going slightly forward towards second base. It's mostly up. Whereas you look at Moreno, he's coming up like this. Yeah, he doesn't. Most he's of his, there's no wasted movement. He's going straight forward. Yeah, and because he's got a lower release point, that lower release point, he's throwing it on a line. That means the ball is coming in low at a. I guess you say flatter trajectory. Like if you look yeah. at Tucker Barnhart's throws, there's an arc. Even throwing the first base, there's an arc on his throw. Whereas you look at Moreno, there is no arc in his throw. Do you think? Do you think any of those those players, like uh, outside of the, the the big five moves, like who do you think is most likely to make an impact? Well, if you look at guys, offseason acquisitions that uh, the they'll involve the forty man roster. Obviously, I think you look at the lefty situation. Like I said, Hughes is a guy. I think surprised he picked Arizona because Arizona has a lot of left handed pitching depth. But yeah, uh, especially since the Diamondbacks have useful left-hand relievers like Kyle Nelson. If he can keep the ball in the ballpark, he's probably their best left-hand reliever. But at the same time, he can't pit- He's not good at pitching high leverage situations. You know, there's man supply yeah. and self Frank is to be determined on any front despite oh, his yeah. postseason success. I think people don't realize that Saul Frank had like, he has like barely like a week's worth of pitching in the major league. Like it's he like has less than more postseason like games than regular season yes. games in his career yes. right now. That should say something. Okay. When you guys have more post, let's repeat that more postseason 11 games to 10. than regular. Yes. Yeah. And I think so, he got overexposed against Philadelphia too. Pro- probably. I, I, I agree on that. So I yeah, mean, pitching the, those are the moves that I think would probably be like, you know, most likely to make an impact of those two guys, really. I uh, Castillo and Hughes. I don't really see Barnhart making the roster based on what you just said. If he's not a defensive I still think asset, he's the, then I mean, then, the thing about Barnhart is he's a better 
game caller and pitch framer than Jose Herrera. Herrera's not really outside of throwing yeah. the bases. Herrera's not necessarily that good, in my opinion. He's fairly yeah. ath- limited athletically, in my opinion. But at the same time, Barnhart's not good at the the other than the veteran game calling. It's, there's not much in his game either. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be surprised if both of them got overtaken by. Well, I don't know if the D-backs will be necessarily interested in adding in a, another inexperienced catch with Del Castillo, especially since he's actually a weaker receiver than those two. Eventually, or at least yeah. that's what the reports say. Over, I think Del Castillo is a much better hair than the two of them, but I think with the older Moreno, I think you could probably be more willing to put Del Castillo in as the backup. Yeah, I, w- I would like to see them uh, give him a look. I, I would not be surprised to see him pass Barnhart and uh, Herrera in the depth chart. Um, I, th- I I am not really quite sure of what to make of Del Castillo. I haven't quite written him off. I really just need to get a better look at him in terms of his evaluation. I mean, the thing about Del Castillo is he's not quite good enough defensively to, as a catcher, but his bat's not quite good enough to change yeah, positions. Yeah, he's a weird, that's, isn't that weird tweener spot between the two. Yeah, he's kind of like a tweener, but like I said, if Del Cast, uh, like if you put, you can pair up Del Castillo with Moreno because when Moreno gets more experience, because Moreno's a has the total package defensively, other than maybe yeah. game calling, but that's an experience thing. Yeah. I mean, I actually like. I think that's probably the most likely, uh, but future catcher tandem going forward, like long term. I wouldn't be surprised if we're that's where we're at in 2025, 2026. But this season is a real question of who's the backup at catcher. Yeah, but then again, at the same time, game calling is less of an issue when you have a veteran pitching staff because the pitchers will call their own yeah. pitches if they have to. Yes, exactly. Like you don't need a good game caller to catch Gallon Kelly and Rodriguez. Like they'll call their pitches if they, if they need to. And I feel like, and I feel like, uh, like I said, uh, game calling may affect fought and Tommy affect fought Henry Nelson, kind of how they yeah. do. But I do think, uh, in the case of all three, if they're doing well, they got three usable pitches. So you got plenty of options to call. So that's kind of how I feel about that one. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I mean it's really uh, – that sounds about right. So, overall, how would you how would you rate Dimebacks offseason? I give it a it, – it's a solid B. Like I said, they added – they had some needs. They addressed it with uh, guys that could plausibly fill that role very well. Uh, obviously, there's some – the only reason it's not an A is because there's, there's obviously long-term downside because you're signing 30-plus-year-olds yeah. – to fill your roster, but good news. I think Rodriguez is the only one that's has the potential for long-term uh, long-term backfire, but the, yeah. the cost for adding starting pitching is pretty crazy right now. Very in this market. I mean, I, I would go right with you. I mean, maybe, maybe a B plus if I'm being a, a minus and being generous, but a B sounds about right to me. I mean, I, I we're comparing it to other organizations, uh, except the Dodgers. Uh, I would say that they probably had like the best off season. I, uh, other than maybe the Royals, Phillies, I think had a pretty good offseason. Phillies, they kept yeah, Cardinals to some extent too. They they went out. Kind uh, of I think the Cardinals offseason's overrated. Yeah, I mean, I mean, easily top five offseason. Yeah, I would say outside of LA, I would say Dimex definitely outside of LA and Philly. I think the Dimex had arguably the best offseason in the National League. I, here's the real For question: sure. How to rate it is whose fans are most disappointed right now? The Diamondbacks fans aren't disappointed. I think in this offseason, I think we're all pretty satisfied. I know there are some really disappointed Giants fans. There's some really just disappointed Toronto fans. There's some really like you go down the list. There's a lot of fans who are very upset with their team. Like some some teams haven't been made. I don't like we talked before. Is what have the Rockies done? Yeah. Leave a comment and let us know what have the Rockies done. Yeah. We don't, uh, do the Rockies exist? <laughs> do the Rockies even exist? Yeah, yeah. Are there are Rockies fans an actual thing, or are they just no? I'm talking about the team. People, people who just show up to Coors Field to enjoy the experience. Yeah, Coors Field's a great ballpark. I just wish the team was better run with the, regards to them. Yeah, until they build a dome that's pressurized, and it's not going to matter. I don't think they can afford to build one. 
But uh, the Rockies certainly will have to figure out how to how to build a team that can play in their own ballpark and play in someone else's ballpark. Yeah, that's uh, clones. I'm gonna go with clones. You have two sets of teams. You have you have like you clone all your players. You have one for the road, one for the you know a home games, and then you don't have to worry about that. And then you just like hide them. No problem at all, right? Yeah. All right. So thanks everyone for watching. Like I said, next time we'll be on, uh, we'll talk about Dimex and their chances of repeating a postseason spot. We'll see if we can have any, we'll see if we'll get, uh, we'll let you know if we have any guests on for that one, we're going to try and get that done anyways. So again, signing off here, I'm Michael McDermott. You'll ca- catch me at, uh, well, if you're watching this on the 19th, I'll be at salt river fields on the 19th and the 25th to cover the, uh, Cactus League Gaming at Chicago, the White Sox. Um, uh, Wes will be... I'm around sometimes. I'll probably be... uh, I'll be around. I'll be shitposting on AZ Snake Pit, and uh, (laughs) that's that's about it. Especially since there'll be game feeds for that one. Yeah. Uh, So again, check out... For Inside Dimex, check us out at si.com slash MLB slash Dimex. We'll see if I can pull up the link. No, we don't have it. But... If not, we can put it in post-edit. Yeah. Uh, if I bother. but uh, So anyways, like I said, thanks everyone for watching. And uh, hopefully you have a good week. Like I said, games are uh, spring training games are starting in less than a week. Hey, baseball. Thanks, everyone.